He knew how deadly it was. He lied to the American people. He knowingly and willingly lied about the threat it posed to the country for months. Of course he did. That's what he does for a living, Joe. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Blazing, Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe, even during pandemics and apocalyptic fires, on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I have a feeling, Desi Doyen, we are going to be crawling over the finish line <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, we, um, For those who have uh, uh, wondered, we are doing just fine out here in Los Angeles, though we have uh, fires up and down the state, up and down the entire coast. No fires that I know of nearby here today. However, for the first day, the air has turned a putrid spooky barfy yellow yellow yeah Yeah. not yet orange as we've seen in some of the photographs from um not uh, that apocalyptic mars orange yes Yes. uh that we've seen in northern california and in oregon and washington but it is really weird it is really eerie we don't smell smoke here but the uh something is clearly going on because it is a urine like yellow how's that (laughs) Yeah. We got a lot, as I say, to get to today, including information on the fires in our latest Green News report coming up a little bit later. (laughs) Some disturbing breaking news about our intelligence community and uh, the 2020 election and who is trying to manipulate it and interfere with it and who is not and much more. But I need to start here. President Trump acknowledged on Wednesday that he intentionally played down the deadly nature of the rapidly spreading coronavirus last winter as an attempt to avoid a, quote, frenzy, according to The Washington Post. It was part of what the paper described as an escalating damage control effort by his top advisors to contain the fallout from a forthcoming book 
by The Washington Post's Bob Woodward, based in part on some 18 interviews that the former Watergate reporter and best-selling author carried out with the president between December of last year and this July. Trump's comments, hoping to defend himself from damning audio excerpts of those interviews that were released on Wednesday by The Post, came hours after they were published by the paper and the ensuing outrage over the president's blunt description of knowing as early as February 7th, one February 7th interview with Woodward that he was not telling the truth about a virus that has now killed more than 190,000 Americans and is still killing some 1,000 or more pretty much every each and every day, some seven months after that February 7 interview in which Trump acknowledged how deadly the pandemic was in private with Woodward, even as he was saying the opposite in public. It goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. For This is more uh, deadly. This is five per... You know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. Deadly stuff. That was February 7 of this year. By mid-March, it was made clear to the president that the virus was not just affecting older people, but younger people as well, including children, and that his strategy for dealing with the most deadly global pandemic in 100 years, just months before he would face re-election, was, in his own words... To play it all down in public. Now it's turning out it's not just old people, Bob. Just today and, and yesterday, some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older. Yeah, exactly. Young people to plenty of young people. To be honest with sure, you, sure, I want you. To I be. wanted to. Uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. That was mid-March, when the U.S. had confirmed a total uh, at the time of about 150 COVID-19-related deaths. And as Trump was repeatedly claiming the virus would just go away on its own, as the weather warmed up in April and the U.S. was doing a great job of controlling its spread. Oh, and that children had nothing to worry about. It was only older people who were really at risk. Well, 190,000 deaths later, Woodward in his upcoming book and the Washington Post in their paper have confirmed that Donald Trump knew he was lying to the public all along about pretty much everything having to do with both the virus and his administration's handling of the pandemic, with reporting that appears to have stunned the nation on Wednesday. Democrats, led by presidential nominee Joe Biden on Wednesday, denounced Trump's actions as part of a deliberate effort to lie to the public for his own political purposes when other world leaders took decisive action to warn their people and set those nations on a better path to handling the pandemic. On the day that we hit 190,000 dead, in the United States because of COVID-19. We just learned from the Washington Post columnist Bob Woodward that the President of the United States has admitted on tape in February he knew about COVID-19 that had passed through the air. He knew how deadly it was. It was much more deadly than the flu. He knew and purposely played it down. Worse, 
He lied to the American people. He knowingly and willingly lied about the threat it posed to the country for months. He had the information. He knew how dangerous it was. And while this deadly disease ripped through our nation, he failed to do his job on purpose. It was a life and death betrayal of the American people. Experts say that if he had acted just, just one week sooner, 36,000 people would have been saved. If he acted two weeks sooner, back in March, 54,000 lives would have been spared in March and April alone. You know, his failure has not only cost lives, it sent our economy in a tailspin. It cost millions more in American livelihoods. It's beyond despicable. It's a uh, dereliction of duty. It's a disgrace. That was Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden in Warren, Michigan, responding on Wednesday. The White House quickly attempted to defend the audio taped excerpts, claiming that Trump, quote, has never lied to the American public on covid that like a, quote, good leader, he was simply staying calm and resolute at a time when you face an insurmountable challenge. For his own part, Trump explained it all the way to reporters by claiming, quote, I'm a cheerleader for this country. I love our country and I don't want people to be frightened. I don't want to create a panic, he said. I'm not going to drive this country or the world into a frenzy. We want to show confidence. We want to show strength. All of this by way of contrast with public health officials, including some in his own administration, who have said for months that clearly educating the public on the lethal nature of COVID-19 is the most important tool in reining in its spread so that people will adhere to social distancing guidelines and wear masks. That, as the president has continued to mock those who wear masks, who uh, also, he recently hosted some 2,000 people on the White House lawn, shoulder to shoulder, without masks or any social distancing, and who continues to hold similar mask-free rallies with hundreds of supporters around the country as the virus continues to spread and continues to kill. On Wednesday, Trump said he was, quote, very open with Woodward, but that the still unpublished book is, quote, another political hit job. That despite the release of audio tapes featuring the president's own words. On Capitol Hill, meanwhile, according to press reports, Democrats recounted the myriad ways that Trump publicly tried to dismiss the virus for months. And as the Post notes, in a familiar routine on Capitol Hill, Republicans ducked from the latest controversy, almost uniformly asserting that they had yet to read Woodward's book, despite its revelations consuming a day's worth of news. The Lincoln Project, a group of anti-Trump Republicans, quickly released a new ad on Wednesday promoting the hashtag Trump New, featuring side-by-side -side clips of Trump's private remarks to Woodward on the phone beginning in early February, juxtaposed with contradictory comments that Trump was regularly offering to the public around the very same time as his comments to Woodward seemed to say the exact opposite. This is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. We show cases, 99% of which are totally harmless. Not just old, older. Yeah, exactly. People, to plenty of young people. Young people 
are almost immune to this disease. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. We lose thousands and thousands of people a year to the flu. We don't turn the country off. I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. That was from Project Lincoln. The political battles over what did uh, what what Trump did and, and and didn't know continue today, at least until the next major revelation that would have long ago led any other president to either resign or be impeached, any other Democratic president perhaps. And of course, it's good and important that all of this has now been confirmed, just as voters are beginning to receive absentee ballots and beginning early voting for this year's never more critical presidential election. It's good that they know that Trump not only mishandled the crisis, but did so knowingly and uh, purposefully, clearly for what he believed would be to his political advantage. But what of the fact that this information was all known for months, at least to Bob Woodward, as he sat on it in preparation for the publication of his new book this fall? On Twitter and elsewhere online, commentators accused Woodward of valuing book sales over public health. Esquire's great Charlie Pierce noted, quote, nearly 200,000 Americans have died because neither Donald Trump nor Bob Woodward wanted to risk anything substantial to keep the country informed. Our friend and frequent guest on the broadcast, David Dayan of the American Prospect, argued Bob Woodward sitting on information about presidential lies until he has a book to promote is, well, it's the difference between being a hungry reporter in 1973 and a palace courtier in 2020. In his Too Much Information, or TMI, newsletter, investigative journalist David Sirota with Andrew Perez described the audio tapes as revealing a, quote, horrific crime against humanity, but added that that crime, quote, was aided and abetted by the popular face of investigative journalism, Mr. All the President's Men himself. Joining us now is David Sirota himself. He is, of course, the award-winning investigative journalist, creator of the TMI newsletter, editor-at-large of uh, the Jacobin magazine, columnist at The Guardian, best-selling author of three books, and Bernie Sanders' now former 2020 presidential campaign speechwriter, and I should add, most crucially, a former radio talk show host himself based in Denver. Oh, Mr. Sirota, thank you for joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. In I, 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 in fact, join you in citing Trump's response to the coronavirus as a massive crime against humanity. I've argued on a number of occasions that he should at some point be placed on trial for his purposeful mishandling of this pandemic. You argue, however, at TMI with your uh, colleague Andrew Perez uh, yesterday and again today that Woodward should be seen as complicit in that crime. Really? Well, absolutely. Bob Woodward is the nation's most famous journalist. Bob Woodward was told in early February that the coronavirus was lethal uh, and airborne, and he was told that by the President of the United States. That is, by definition, news, and Bob Woodward sat on that news for seven months. And I think people forget that back in early February, uh, there was a lot of confusion about how lethal coronavirus was, 
and whether it, in fact, had gone airborne. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a lot of experts who said it wasn't necessarily airborne, and there was a lot of information out there that said it actually wasn't all that lethal. Trump himself suggested it was somewhat akin to to the common flu. And you had a reporter who had the power to uh, publish audio tapes of Trump saying the opposite uh, at a crucial time uh, when, as you've alluded to, uh, one week may have saved tens of thousands of lives. You had a reporter who sat on the information from Trump, and, and this is important in two ways. One, at minimum, you had information proving that Trump was lying. Mm-hmm. So th- th- that's, a, that's a political storyline, that Donald Trump was just lying to the public. I'm as concerned, actually more concerned, with the idea that people, tens of thousands of people were dying, and you had information from the head of government that the disease that was out there and that wasn't being taken seriously, certainly in early February, that the disease was far more lethal uh, and far more transmissible than the government was letting on, and you had that directly from the President of the United States. Which, again, I know there's this whole, oh, you got to fact-check it, you have to confirm it. Let's be very clear. Mm-hmm. If you're a journalist and you have a tape of the president saying something, that is de facto news, end of story, full stop, the end. That is news, and it is at minimum news that the president said it. Now, you can debate, well, did he lie, was he saying the wrong thing? That's mm-hmm. fine, but it is de facto news. So, in aggregate, the way I see it is that Donald Trump committed a crime against humanity, and Bob Woodward drove the getaway car. <laughs> well, let me actually put uh, Woodward's words here, his defense, uh, up for your comment here. He, he defended himself in an interview with AP today, essentially saying that he was listening to Trump describe the virus as, quote, deadly stuff back in February. And he was, quote, thinking, wow, that's interesting, but is it true Trump says things that don't check out, right? So he then claims that he had to report out the comments to make sure they were accurate and that it wasn't until May that he was satisfied that the comments were based on reliable information. Of course, David, uh, that was May. This is September. Even if we gave him the benefit of the doubt there that he wanted to check it out, report it out, make sure it was legit, tens of thousands of American deaths and hundreds of thousands of infections later, we only hear about this now in September. I mean, is yeah, it, I, mean I, yeah. I, I think the I, I think the entire I had to check it out until May is also a bunch of nonsense because Trump was giving press conferences in the interim saying all sorts of things about the uh, about the virus. Mm-hmm. And again, the other piece that Woodward had was that Trump was saying he was uh, deliberately downplaying it. That also is de facto news. I mean, this is, I, I genuinely believe that this is the biggest scandal in the history of modern journalism. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure it will be swept under the rug because Bob Woodward is Bob Woodward, and and mm-hmm. we live in a goldfish culture where where we forget our entire world every 15 minutes. But we, we have a situation in which the President of the United States said something to the nation's most famous reporter, and the most famous reporter sat on that information for seven months while tens of thousands of people died. And I went back and I looked in the Washington Post mm-hmm. uh, at around that time to see what was being reported uh, in that same week mm-hmm. uh, about the coronavirus. And there's a story uh, that happened two days before Trump made his first comments to Woodward. Uh, the story two days before was that lawmakers, some lawmakers on Capitol Hill, 
were pushing Trump uh, and the administration to take far more seriously the coronavirus threat. Now, you can imagine if two days later the story in the Washington Post was that Donald Trump was deliberately downplaying the threat. Donald Trump uh, had said that the virus was actually uh, more deadly than, than people thought and that it had gone airborne. You can imagine how that might have supercharged those lawmakers' efforts to get the administration to act more strongly. But, but, but I also think that we don't have to imagine that, because that's a, that's a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would have made impact, maybe it wouldn't. I, I don't know. Nobody can know. Mm-hmm. But, but even if you argue it wouldn't have made any impact at all, Woodward publishing a story. As a journalist, your job is to get the news from elected officials and to, at minimum, report what they say, and certainly report discrepancies in what they are saying. Your job is not to suppress that information, to hold that information while tens of thousands of people die, and to hold it in order to juice your book sales later on at a more opportune time. That is what's happened. There's a legal concept uh, called duty to warn. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that if you have information uh, of uh, uh, in imminent violence, imminent danger, imminent jeopardy, that you can be held responsible for, you are culpable for, the thing that happens if you did not speak up. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. And ironically enough, uh, Woodward apparently will be on CBS 60 Minutes this Sunday. So we may know more about, uh, you know, this, uh, well, if 60 Minutes presses him on it. But apparently in one of the excerpts of the interview with uh, that he does with Scott Pelley, Woodward told 60 Minutes, quote, the president of the United States has a duty to warn so does a journalist have that same duty, David Sirota? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the point. And I hadn't heard that Woodward had actually said that. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Because, yeah. because th- that, that's the whole point of being a journalist. That is literally why journalism exists in a, in a democratic society. Mm. It is so that the public has independent information. Uh, about whether or not its government is doing what the government is, it says it's doing. That the journalist is the warner. That's yeah. what the journalist exists to do, and to warn as contemporaneously as possible. I know there's an argument that, you know, on investigative stories, I've done a lot of them, you know, they take time. They, they take a lot of time, and you've got to fact-check things, and there are allegations, and, and the like. Let's be clear in not mixing those kinds of situations up with this. And by that I mean, this is not an investigative uh, need tons of months to fact check. When the president says something, that is de facto news. You can fact check it, you can later on scrutinize it, but the act of the president saying something is news and should be reported just as a, as a general yeah. rule. Well, and then in a specific situation, when you have actual time-sensitive information uh, that deals with public, a public health crisis, that only ups the, uh, the imperative for that information to be published. As you may suspect, I tend to agree with you, David. That said, Woodward has been uh, you know, answering questions, at least from his, his colleagues, for example, at Washington Post, Eric Wemple, uh, who makes the, the, the point that had this been, uh, you know, had Woodward been going out and reporting everything that he was getting back from the president, that he would not have received these 18 interviews in the first place, that he's a different 
different type of journalist now that he uh, tries to tell the big picture and that that's why he doesn't you know run out with uh, well here's what the president told me today that had uh, he not done it the way he did it that we wouldn't have gotten any of this information uh, ever because Woodward would have never been granted those interviews and furthermore by the way and I think there is some legitimacy to this. Uh, you know, he, he probably would have lost access to Trump as of March or so had he reported that. And there was a whole bunch of other important revelations that we have learned that were taken from interviews since March up through July. Is that a sufficient reason to hold it so that you can get that big picture and that uh, people, at least voters, can be informed before they go to vote next month? I mean, it makes it boggles the mind, right? Right? You 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 have a tape of Trump saying he's effectively misleading the country. Trump is going out and misleading the country. <laughs> Casualties are are piling up, and you're getting up every day telling yourself, "I don't need to publish this. I don't need to sound the alarm." I mean, imagine how soulless a person has to be. Imagine how dead inside a human being has to be to have that tape in their file while casualties are mounting and the guy is on television the president misleading people and you're holding it for a book i just it's 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 unfathomable donald trump tweeted on uh, wednesday quote bob woodward had my quotes for many months if he thought they were so bad or dangerous why didn't he immediately report them in an effort to save lives didn't he have an obligation to do so he answers his own question by saying no, because he knew they were good and proper answers. Calm, no panic. Well, I think he has uh, uh, he has that one about half right. You responded to that uh, today at uh, in your TMI newsletter to say that uh, Woodward is now Trump's human shield to help him win the election. Well, that's right. I mean, I think that's what's gone on is that Bob Woodward behaved unbelievably unethically and self-servingly. Uh, and to the point where now that behavior mm -hmm. unto itself is weaponizable by Trump to defend himself. This is why when journalists uh, violate basic ethics uh, and when they make political calculations or self-serving uh, you know, book sales calculations mm -hmm. about when to release news, uh, it, can, it can create all sorts of separate problems. I mean, now you literally have Donald Trump saying, Bob Woodward's decision to suppress the tape proves that I did everything right. I mean, this is, we're now, we're through the looking glass now. Uh, <laughs> well. This is a cautionary tale of why when a journalist gets information that is relevant uh, contemporaneously yeah. uh, in real time, that that information needs to be published without fear or favor or, or, or uh, focus on uh, self-serving uh, uh, goals that have nothing to do with the with serving the public. Wemple asked Eric Wemple at the Washington Post asked his colleague uh, Bob Woodward uh, directly if earlier publication would have saved lives. Woodward demurred. He said, "No. How?" He said that by March 19, confirmed cases were already taking off and that if anything he gathered was a legitimate public health issue, he would have gone to the Post and sought to have it published forthwith. He said it wasn't that it wasn't a legitimate public health issue. Is it feasible, David Sirota, that Woodward was not holding back, uh, you know, to make money off of his book, but that he genuinely 
did not, does not understand, or does not appreciate the public health issues at stake. Is that even plausible? I mean, if it is, it, it, it doesn't speak very well of Bob Woodward. I mean, I, I, I saw that he, he sort of said uh, that he didn't think he's a daily reporter and he likes to give the larger view. Mm-hmm. I just think, what a privileged elitist you have to be to say that. What a privileged elitist could sit and look at the death toll mounting up. By the way, a death toll that's disproportionately felt by uh, people of color, lower-income people. To sit there seeing that happen, knowing you can blow the whistle, and try to come up with some rationale that ultimately really ends up just serving your own bottom line. I mean, it's, 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 it's absolutely grotesque. I, I, don't, I don't know how to say it any, yep. any more strongly, but, I, but I, as a journalist, I find it so grotesque. And, and yep. I, to, to be clear, obviously Trump lying is also grotesque. Right. But, the, but, but the fact that Trump's lies could have been exposed and weren't in real time it, it is. I mean, we are. This is the collision of both the corrupt political system and a deeply corrupt uh, uh, media culture. Well, and that leads me to my last question, David. Our our uh, colleague uh, Eric Bollard argues in his own newsletter today that the latest revelations pull the curtain back on how the press has covered the pandemic and specifically Trump's negligent leadership, relentlessly giving him the benefit of the doubt. The press has stressed Trump was, quote, slow to respond, quote, missed the COVID-19 warnings. He just didn't, quote, see it coming. That preferred storyline never added up, says Bollard, because Trump was made uh, has made the wrong decision every single time. Instead of an honest debate about Trump's radical and treacherous behavior, we get coverage that suggests Trump is merely disorganized and mercurial with the assumption that, of course, he wants to protect Americans. That's the safe lane for the news media to occupy. In fact, Bullard argues the Beltway Press isn't willing to call out a sitting president who is waging war on America. To address that possibility, he says, would raise stunning questions about the president of the United States, the type of queries that have never been asked about any president in this nation's history. Uh, David, does Eric have it right there? And should the criticism expand beyond Woodward uh, to the U.S. press as a whole for the way they have uh, covered this matter? I mean, well, sure. I mean, I think that I, I think that w- the Woodward situation is a is a it's not microcosmic. I mean, it's it's so it's so huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really believe if you really think about this for, for two minutes, you realize how huge a, a situation this is mm-hmm. uh, for, for journalism. But I do think it is emblematic. I, I do think that we have created in this country a greed is good, uh, uh, screw everybody else kind of culture, and that a the nation's most famous journalist prioritizing his book sales over sounding the alarm uh, speaks to that culture i think also what 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 we have in 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 a in media there is very much a um, we are here to serve power to amplify power to echo power to have access to power and that obviously this story uh, this situation with woodward suppressing the tape is is also a part of that i mean he wanted to preserve access uh, to the white house uh, so I think all of these things are represented here, and, and but I don't think they're isolated to Bob Woodward. I, 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 re- I really mm-hmm. don't. I, I think that 
you know, the old ethos of journalism, I'm paraphrasing here, is to, uh, uh, you know, is to is to comfort the afflicted, afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That's the old that's the old thing. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be what journalism is about. But much of political journalism, in specific, in, in particular, yep. is to afflict the afflicted and comfort the comfortable. Mm. And that's what this story also reflects. It is it is pervasive in our media. Uh, you know, I I know that you know. Trump focuses on, you know, quote-unquote fake news, and that's a, that's a different sort of assault on the news media. I, 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 I basically disagree with that um, whole frame that I do think in, in professional journalism people are basically trying to, to get the story right, but, or at least the facts right. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, 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 you, that separating out from that the... The aim of the media, the goal of the corporate-owned media uh, today, which is on display in this story, yeah. is more to serve power rather than to challenge power. And, and, and in a certain sense, that, that doesn't make that that's not that surprising because the media, corporate-owned media, is owned by corporate and political power. Yeah. But that is one of the fundamental problems in our country right now that we don't have enough hard-hitting, consistent uh, uh, scrutiny of the people who have power in this country. Uh, Agreed. Add it to the list of complaints at this point. David Sirota is the award-winning investigative journalist. You can find uh, his Too Much Information, or TMI, newsletter at sirota.substack.com where you can uh, subscribe and uh, receive that uh, email uh, newsletter in your email box every day. You can also find uh, more of his work at davidsirota.com and on the Twitters at David Sirota. David, really appreciate you joining us today. Hope you don't mind if we bother you again in the future, my friend. Uh, Anytime. Keep up the good work, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You bet. Okay, quick break. Uh, breaking news, as always, as happens <laughs> at this point about every 30 minutes, I'm oh, sorry yes. to say. We'll try to get to as much of that as we can right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The New York Times reports late on Thursday that the Russian military intelligence unit that attacked the Democratic National Committee four years ago is back with a series of new, more stealthy hacks aimed at campaign staff members, consultants and think tanks associated with both Democrats and Republicans. That warning was issued on Thursday by the Microsoft Corporation in an assessment that is far more detailed than any yet made public by American intelligence agencies, which is in and of itself a scandal. 
an actual scandal. The fact that we're getting more information from Microsoft than from the American intelligence community, no matter how you may feel about Microsoft or the American uh, IC, uh, it, it, this is just everything here is upside down. The findings published by today by Microsoft come one day, just one day after a government whistleblower claimed that officials at the White House and the Department of Homeland Security suppressed intelligence concerning Russia's continuing interference because it, quote, made the president look bad and instructed government analysts to instead focus on interference by China. And Iran, go look over there. Go look at them. Microsoft did find that Chinese and Iranian hackers have been active, but often not in the way that President Trump and his aides have been suggesting. That, of course, is no surprise, given that the Trump administration has turned over our intelligence community, well, turned it upside down, in fact, directing directing the intelligence community what to find and what to report rather than taking the information from the intelligence community as is, as discovered, and then acting on it appropriately. As the Times referenced there, a senior official at the Department of Homeland Security has alleged in a whistleblower complaint that he was pressured to alter intelligence documents, including about the threats posed by Russian election interference and white supremacist violence, all for political reasons. The official, the whistleblower, Brian Murphy, was until last month the principal deputy undersecretary in the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence and Analysis. But then his whistleblower complaint alleges he was demoted to a position in the DHS Management Division. The complaint was released by the House Intelligence Committee this week, detailing Murphy's allegations of repeated abuses and retaliation from DHS higher-ups, including a current top deputy at the department, Ken Cuccinelli, and the current acting secretary of the DHS, Chad Wolf. Now, I will take a moment here to note that a recent inspector general's report found that both of those men are unlawfully in their current positions. The IG found as much and uh, so far a little or nothing has happened since that finding as we have a lawless president who just does not care. And, I would add, a cowardly Congress, which seems to be clueless as to how to deal with a lawless president. At least clueless on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, they simply don't care. They don't want to deal with a lawless president. They're just fine with it. Perhaps most explosive of the several allegations included in Murphy's complaint are his claims that Wolf and Cuccinelli pressured him to change intelligence assessment assessments to match Donald Trump's rhetoric about Antifa, a group that doesn't actually exist or it's a catch-all term for anti-fascist groups. So to change the intelligence assessments to focus on Antifa from the threat posed by white supremacists, remove that, and yes, match it up with Trump's opinions about Russian election meddling. To change the intelligence. 
In March, for example, Murphy allegedly learned that a homeland threat assessment was held up because Wolf and Cuccinelli were concerned about how the assessment would reflect upon Donald Trump, according to the complaint. In meetings over the summer, Cuccinelli subsequently told Murphy that he needed to, quote, modify the section on white supremacy in a manner that made the threat appear less severe, as well as include information on the prominence of violent left-wing groups, according to the complaint. Murphy declined, thankfully, to make that change. After a meeting with Wolf about the assessment, in which Wolf asked for a copy of the document so that he could add he could add information regarding the unrest in Portland, Oregon, Murphy alleged that he was excluded thereafter from the assessment's drafting process. A subsequent draft, his complaint alleges, will, quote, more closely resemble a policy document with references to Antifa and anarchist groups than an intelligence document. This is not the way that intelligence is supposed to work. It is the opposite of the way intelligence is supposed to work. I've interviewed and spoken with enough folks from the intel community over the years to understand that intelligence it's supposed to be nonpartisan. It is supposed to be gathered and presented to the administration, whichever administration, and or to the public and or to lawmakers without fear or partisan favor so that lawmakers and the administration can then act on it as they see fit. It is not supposed to be changed and massaged to make the president and his political allies happy. That is not how this is supposed to work. It is a complete and entire corruption of the intelligence system, period. Separately, in May, Murphy recounted how Wolf instructed him to stop providing intelligence assessments on Russia altogether and instead to start reporting on China and Iran, citing instructions from White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, again, decidedly not how this is supposed to happen. The next month, Murphy alleges, Cuccinelli instructed him to hold an intelligence notification regarding Russian disinformation efforts because it, quote, made the president look bad. Murphy refused both of those instructions, he said, and Wolf subsequently took steps to ex exclude him from meetings on the topic, according to the complaint. Murphy also alleged he faced pressure from then-Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, oh, remember her? Oh, yeah. From her office that uh, he should reinterpret data on border crossings to fit the administration's belief that known or suspected terrorists were crossing the U.S.-Mexico border in large numbers because that's what Donald Trump was saying, that's what Fox News was saying, and so they wanted to change the intelligence to reflect what he was saying, not what was actually happening. Even though he knew, Murphy did in this case, that none of this was true. Despite his efforts, Murphy alleged that Nielsen subsequently provided false testimony about all of this to Congress regarding the threat of uh, terrorists crossing the border. She just made stuff up. And Fox News very helpfully amplified it day in and day out. In a separate instance referenced in the complaint, Cuccinelli ordered Murphy and another undersecretary to fire or reassign the, quote, deep state intelligence analysts 
unquote, who authored reports on conditions in Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador that Cuccinelli believed undermined Trump's messaging about the United States asylum policy. You will recall that there were folks uh, coming up here from Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador because conditions in their country had gotten so bad they had to escape. Well, they escaped. They came up to here. They claimed asylum. They claimed uh, claimed that it was uh, dangerous for them to be in their country. And yes, there was intelligence uh, analysis that underscored that. So we had to get rid of that intelligence. Cuccinelli ordered Murphy to do so. And uh, Cuccinelli and another undersecretary, a guy by the name of David Glaw. Well, the pair later agreed that firing the authors of that report that told the truth about Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador, that that would be an abuse of authority over political differences. Mr. Cuccinelli's instructions were never implemented. The report states so as imperfect as it may be information from Microsoft of all places should now likely be taken more seriously than the fully corrupted US intelligence community unfortunately for example as the Times notes today an assessment by the director of national intelligence last month said China preferred that former Vice President Joe Biden win the 2020 election. The Microsoft report, however, appears to contradict that. New York Times, in its poor reporting here, says the Microsoft report complicated that finding somewhat. (laughs) But it contradicts it because it found that Chinese hackers have attacked the private email accounts of Joe Biden's campaign staff members And notably, only one of the Chinese targets detected by Microsoft was affiliated with Trump, a a former administration official whom Microsoft declined to name. The Microsoft investigation also uh, concluded that hackers related to Russia's GRU, that's the military intelligence unit that oversaw uh, supposedly the hack and leak efforts in the 2016 campaign that made emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign public, that that unit was now going to new lengths to hide their tracks, routing some of their attacks through a service that conceals the attacker's whereabouts and identity. That apparently slowed the efforts to identify who these hackers were. Microsoft's findings come just two weeks after the director of national intelligence, Donald Trump's newly appointed Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe had declared that he would no longer let intelligence agencies give detailed in-person briefings about election interference to Congress, claiming the restrictions were due to leaks, though members of the committee have said there have been no leaks. There is no question that Microsoft's assessment complicates the administration's narrative uh, that China is a bigger threat to U.S. elections than Russia, The Times notes, as both the National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien and Attorney General William Barr said in interviews last week. Yes, what they claimed in interviews last week was a lie. At least this information from Microsoft suggests as much. Don't be afraid to say so, New York Times. In fact, the report from Microsoft concludes that the Russian military intelligence unit has only accelerated its attacks. So, yes, is a bigger threat than China, despite what the uh, attorney general said and despite what Trump's national security advisor claimed. 
Microsoft researchers concluded that the GRU hacking unit has been aggressively hacking the personal email accounts of American politicians, campaign staff members, and consultants on both sides of the aisle. Microsoft's finding that it is Biden, not Trump, who Chinese hackers are targeting also complicates a narrative pushed by the White House that China is interfering in the 2020 election to help the former vice president. There are very obvious reasons that China's leadership would prefer four more years of President Trump. That, according to Antony Blinken, Biden's longtime foreign policy advisor and a former deputy secretary of state, He said that uh, Trump has helped China advance its most important strategic goals, weakening American alliances, leaving a vacuum in the world for China to fill, giving Beijing a green light to trample human rights and democracy in Hong Kong. He also publicly echoed their propaganda downplaying COVID-19 while privately admitting how dangerous that it was. All of this, he says, benefits China at the expense of our nation. China's attack on Biden's campaign appears to be an attempt at standard espionage. Microsoft's findings echo those of Google researchers last spring who determined that the same Chinese group was targeting Biden's campaign. So, yeah, they're targeting Biden. That would seem to be the opposite of what Donald Trump and his uh, people have been saying. In terms of sophistication, security researchers overwhelmingly say it is Russia's GRU hackers who present the gravest threats. The whistleblower complaint made public on Wednesday with its allegation that uh, federal intelligence analysts were told to edit out references to Russian interference has put the integrity of the government's own assessments in doubt. That's a nice way to put it, New York Times. If that whistleblower report is true, the people responsible are violating their oath of office, said Tom Bossert. That is Trump's own first Homeland Security advisor. He said short of war, the best way to defeat a foreign influence operation is to expose it publicly. Sanctions alone aren't going to stop Putin from messing with U.S. elections. Again, that was Donald Trump's own first Homeland Security advisor. Intelligence officials privately warned the White House and lawmakers in February that Russia was actively working to reelect Trump and to defy Democrats. The Trump administration has contended that it has been tough on Russia, despite Trump's refusal to criticize Vladimir Putin and its latest efforts to downplay Moscow's recent interference. Again, New York Times, not downplay, but hide, obscure disappear, pretend as if they are not happening at all. Use your good words, New York Times. You can do it. That, of course, is the Trump's administration's uh, strategy for dealing with Russia, for dealing with the COVID epidemic, and yes, for our ever-worsening climate crisis. Just pretend it doesn't exist, despite mountains of evidence to the contrary. 54 days until your last chance to vote in this year's presidential election. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report are next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. (laughs) 
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Once again, we're doing fine here in Los Angeles. No fires anywhere near us. The sky has turned from a pale yellow to a pale orange as the show has progressed today. As we get to our latest Green News report. We are currently facing a statewide fire emergency. Unprecedented wildfires explode across the western United States. The fact is... Climate change is the real culprit behind what we're seeing right now. And yes, man-made climate change is to blame. Plus... I will sign a presidential order extending the moratorium on offshore drilling on Florida's Gulf Coast. Trump trolls for votes by flip-flopping on offshore drilling ban. All of that trolling and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's true. Number one since Teddy Roosevelt. Who would have thought? Trump is the great environmentalist. Hey, great environmentalist. The West Coast is on fire. Can you at least pretend to give a damn? You're good at pretending. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen with the West Coast on fire thanks to man-made climate change that Donald Trump has helped to make worse. It's only somewhat amusing that he's running around telling everyone he's the greatest environmental president since Teddy Roosevelt. Or delusional or insane. Yeah, kind of. All of the above. Evacuations are underway in parts of the western U.S. as hundreds of fast-moving, destructive wildfires erupt across California, Washington, and Oregon, outstripping firefighting capacity. The fires have nearly wiped out entire communities in Oregon and Washington, according to officials. Fire scientists warn we're only just now entering peak fire season, so much worse may be yet to come. Has Donald Trump even bothered to tweet anything about the West Coast fires? And not to my knowledge. Hmm. Guess he doesn't have any votes to win out here. As we go to air, a handful of deaths have been attributed to the fires, and that toll is expected to rise. Air quality is so bad in the San Francisco Bay Area that the National Weather Service said it was literally beyond their gauge's ability to measure. In California, a record 2.3 million acres have burned just since August 1st, a 2,000% increase over last year. An extreme heat wave over Labor Day broke heat records across the state in including an all-time high temperature for Los Angeles County of an unheard of 121 degrees. It's just a hoax. It's all a hoax. The heat wave exacerbated tinderbox conditions, sucking the moisture out of trees and vegetation. The fires are so hot and so gigantic that they are creating their own weather, including fire tornadoes that are generating more high winds, sending embers even further. Inve- 
Investor-owned Pacific Gas and Electric, the culprit behind the deadly campfire in 2018, has issued preemptive blackouts during a heat wave and a pandemic in areas where its decrepit equipment could spark more fires. And for the first time, the U.S. Forest Service has closed all national forests in the state. In Oregon, Governor Kate Brown on Wednesday issued a statewide fire emergency as thousands of firefighters battled more than 35 fires. More than 500 square miles have burned in Oregon over just the last few days, destroying several small towns in mere hours. She warned all residents to be on high alert and be ready to evacuate. I want to be up front in saying that we expect to see a great deal of loss, both in structures and in human lives. This could be the greatest loss of human lives and property due to wildfire in our state's history. It is terrible, and it's remarkable that this is not uh, the lead, the front page on every paper and every cable news channel in the country. This is uh, the nightmare you have been warning about now for so many years, Des. Yep. However, in Colorado, extreme weather whiplash helped for once. The Denver region went from nearly 100 degrees on Monday to a snowstorm on Tuesday that helped tamp down fires there. And of course, there is a direct connection in all of this to man-made climate change. Climate scientists for decades have warned that global warming would intensify weather extremes. Climate policy professor Leah Stokes connected the climate change dots on PBS NewsHour. What scientists are telling us is that we are entering a period of megafires where the scale of burning is just beyond what we've seen before. And there isn't any reason to believe that that will stop because we are not taking the climate crisis seriously and we are not reducing fossil fuel emissions around the world. So California really is the canary in the coal mine here. But except for PBS, corporate news outlets have mostly omitted the link between man-made climate change and the increase in catastrophic heat waves and wildfires. Finally, in a reversal so blatant and transparent that it would be comical if it weren't so deadly serious, climate science denier President Donald Trump in Florida on Tuesday tried to greenwash his anti-environment record, calling himself the number one environmental president in announcing he will extend a congressional moratorium on offshore drilling for Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia that he himself moved to circumvent three years ago. Apparently, he thinks voters are too stupid to notice his flip-flop. Maybe Trump voters are. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah. Well, remember a few weeks ago when I told everyone, buckle up before as we head to this election? Uh, I meant it, though I couldn't have predicted uh, quite a bit of what we are now seeing. we got to get out. Thank you to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, David Sirota of TMI, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, a service made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves as long as the fires around us allow us to continue. Uh, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad blog. That is it until we meet again 
next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.